production and distribution of City Club Forums on IdeaStream Public Media are made possible by PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Well, good afternoon and, and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland, which, as you know, is devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. It's Friday, April 8th, and I'm Bill Levesi, City Club Debate Committee Co-Chair. And as we start, I'd like to offer a special welcome to new listeners here on 89.7 WKSU. Welcome. I'm pleased to introduce to you today's speaker former State Senator Nina Turner, who is in her second race for Ohio's 11th District. Just over five months ago, in November 2021, Ohio's 11th Congressional District underwent a special election to fill a vacant seat left by Marsha Fudge, who was confirmed as the 18th Secretary of the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development last year. Ohio's 11th District carries a deep legacy for Northeast Ohio. Before, redistrict, dist, before redistricting, why is that hard to say? The district has been one of two majority-minority Ohio districts protected under the Voting Rights Act of 1965. It is a seat that carries the legacy of Lewis Stokes and Stephanie Tubbs-Jones. It encompasses much of Cleveland, its eastern suburbs, a western portion of Akron, and about 30 cities. Nina Turner is a Clevelander. She grew up in a working-class family in Cleveland's Lee Harvard community. Starting in 2005, Nina became the first black woman to represent Ward 1 on Cleveland City Council. In 2008, <laughs> in 2008 she served as state senator in Ohio's 25th district until 2014 when she ran for Ohio Secretary of State. Nina served as national co-chair of Bernie Sanders' 2020 presidential campaign and in 2021 ran in the Democratic primary for, 20, <clears throat> for the 2021 special election for Ohio's 11th Congressional District. And she's back at the City Club to talk about her platform <laughs> and, and why she deserves your vote. If you have questions for Nina Turner, you can text them to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. You can also tweet them at the City Club. City Club staff will try to work them into the second half of the program. Members and friends of the City Club of Cleveland, please join me in welcoming the Honorable Nina Turner. Thank you, Bill, so very much. I'm going cordless here, so I hope I don't cause a lot of static with uh, the stationary mic. Well, good afternoon, City Club of Cleveland. I'm so honored uh, to be here with you this afternoon. And uh, Dan, I must say, you all look good for 110. <laughs> I hope I look as good at 110, you know? 
I just, I'm, I'm delighted to be here with you again. There's certainly no place like home. And to have so many of my family and friends here this afternoon brings me great joy. And in particular, my dad is here and my sisters are here. Some of my sisters are here. So I'm so glad. Many of my friends and supporters, uh, I'm just really thrilled. Uh, if you watch the news over the past few months about nearly any topic at all, then you understand that America is at a crossroads. On one hand, corporations are making record-breaking profits and more money than ever, while on the other hand, families are struggling with higher gas and food prices, stagnant wages, and shrinking benefits. These are just some of the topics that I want to discuss with you this afternoon as we fix our mind on the very important choice that we have to make during this midterm season, and particularly this election. We are wrestling between two futures. Do we sacrifice the poor, the working poor, and the barely middle class to protect the ultra-wealthy? Or do we treat our people as America's greatest asset and ensure everyone has a real chance to live a good life? These are unprecedented times indeed, and our leaders cannot settle for just good enough. They must fight for what we deserve. The real division in this country is taking place in the halls of Congress between those who are willing to stand up against special interests, big corporations, and the anti-democratic GOP that is behind the backward slide of our democracy, and those who are only willing to accept incremental change. And for our community, for the people of Greater Cleveland, it is not enough to just vote the right way or to go along to get along. This district, one of the poorest in the nation, needs a change maker in Washington that will fight every day to lift working families and to lift the poor and be a fighter who gets results. This campaign is about honoring a tradition of leadership, a tradition of leaders who fought against the status quo and pushed for the advancement and uplift of working people. And if I may take a moment to remind you today of that history, the strong political tradition of this community and how it set the pace for black political leadership in this country. It all started right here in Cleveland. We can never forget the gentleman from Ohio, Congressman Lewis Stokes and his brother, Carl B. Stokes, the first black mayor of a major American city. And there have been so many other leaders that grace us in this great city, from Judge Merle Jean Capers, to Councilwoman Fannie M. Lewis, to Mayor Michael R. White, Mayor Frank G. Jackson, Queen Lenny Powell, Congresswoman Stephanie Tubbs-Jones, the Honorable George Forbes, the Honorable Arnold Pinckney, and since my sister girlfriend is here today from the great city of Cleveland, who I had the privilege and the pleasure to serve with in the Ohio legislature, Senator Shirley Smith.
The ability to see promise in the problem and cultivate opportunity out of crisis is a hallmark of this community's leadership and tenacity. On this point, I am reminded when Mayor Carl B. Stokes utilized the crisis of a burning Cuyahoga River to draw attention not only to the need for clean water, but to center the holistic needs of what he called the urban environment. He set the stage for the modern day environmental justice movement in our country. His brother and his leadership, coupled with a community craving change, set a path of redemption and justice. The tradition of this great city and the 11th Congressional District is a tradition of progressive politics. And it is why I am proud to be a progressive public servant or put another way, a hell-raising humanitarian. <laughs> a freedom fighter, if you will. The history of progressive politics is indeed the history of the 11th District. It is connected to the movement for civil rights and hell-bent on standing up for the dignity of working class people, no matter how they identify, no matter where they are from, people absolutely deserve to live a good life. And the leaders that I named, along with so many others that are unnamed, charted a course for progress by not going along to get along with the status quo. They fought for the needs of this community. In Congress, I will be that leader who understands that health care has been denied to millions of Americans for far too long, and I will fight for Medicare for All. Speaking in favor of Medicare for All is one thing, but pushing for it to become law is another, willing to put something on the line to go against the industries in this nation who dare to commodify health care. Standing up to those folks is different than voting the right way. The pandemic has shown us that health care should be a human right. We may think we are done with COVID, but baby, COVID is not done with us. We are still in a pandemic of epic proportions that was exacerbated by this pandemic. The suffering that people were already enduring was exacerbated by this pandemic. And I do agree with President Biden that we need more money for COVID Mitigation, we need more money for COVID mitigation in this community, in this state, in this nation, and also in this world. I am troubled that other nations that are not as wealthy as we are have millions of people who are suffering because they cannot get the vaccination. We must put a stop to that because what happens over there happens over here. We are all connected and they all deserve to have that vaccine. You know, I know from a personal experience what it means to navigate poverty. I am blessed to have my dad in this room with me this afternoon, but there is a person missing, and it is my mama. And my mama died at the young age of 42 years old. There's one of my favorite poets, Langston Hughes, asked a very seminal question, what happens to a dream deferred? 
My mother died with her dreams deferred. She was at times uninsured, at other times underinsured. And I do understand from a lived experience how incredibly important it is, how paramount it is for us as a nation not to play games with people's health care, but to ensure that they have it, that they don't have to grovel for it, that every human being has intrinsic value. And one of the ways that we can show as a nation that we understand that intrinsic value is by ensuring that we have Medicare for all and stop playing with these pharmaceutical and healthcare industry that preys on our people. So my fight for Medicare for All is for my mama and other mamas and daddies like, like her, people who are poor and are among the working poor who unfortunately this country has decided are throwaways. Well, I say to you this afternoon, there are no throwaway people. In Congress, I will be the leader who understands that the job of a congressperson is not just to help people get by, but to help them get ahead. We need to create an opportunity agenda for all. We need to create a highway of opportunity, not a pathway of subsistence. What is missing in government today are leaders who work to create better lives for their constituents. And I want to say it's not all leaders, but it's far too many leaders who are more concerned about getting invited to the Christmas party than the dealing with the crisis that face Americans. With the minimum wage in Ohio at $8.80 an hour and gas averaging $4 a gallon, the poor, the working poor, and the barely middle class of greater Cleveland are having to make tough choices. We must raise the minimum wage to a living wage. We must address the rising cost of housing and rent. We must end childhood poverty and renew the child tax credit and make it permanent. We must deal with a 40-year high of inflation and increase pricing on food, gas, and just about everything else. Not because of rising costs, but because of unfettered greed. Corporations are making profits hand over fist, hand over fist, hand over fist, but meanwhile in hoods where people are misunderstood, whether it's the rural hood, the suburban hood, or the urban hood, people in this nation deserve so much better than what they are getting, and we must stand up against predatory capitalism. I grew up in the Lee Harvard neighborhood and thanks to my grandparents who worked very hard to build a foundation for our family. But like other families, we struggled a lot of the times. I am the oldest of seven children and as I mentioned earlier, I'm blessed to have some of my siblings, my sisters in this room today. I do know what it is like to struggle I know what it's like. They call it food insecurity. I call it just plain old hungry. <laughs> I know what it's like to have parents 
scrape and work very hard and be among the working poor. I do not believe that there should be such a thing as the working poor in the hegemon nation known as the United States of America. There are homeless people in this nation who work jobs. There are people who can't make ends meet and they work four and five and six jobs. There is something immoral about that. And in this nation, we need a social contract that declares that we will not allow on our watch, anybody to be unhoused, anybody to go hungry, anybody to struggle just to make the basic needs that every human being that walks the face of this earth, or should I say every human being on the face of this earth, they deserve better than what they are getting. We must cancel student debt. and invest in public colleges and universities or trade and voc ed schools. We must absolutely do that. I am a first generation college graduate, and so I get it. And I'm still carrying student debt to this very day. My son is carrying student debt right now, and together we have over $100,000 worth of student debt. I was just at an event in Huff, a house party that was held for me, and I was talking about how important it is to cancel student debt. And one of the elders walked up to me before I left that house party and said, Senator Turner, don't forget about people like me. I am 74 years old and I am still carrying student debt. There is something wrong about that in the United States of America. And just because that is the reality today does not mean it has to be the reality tomorrow. Every other industrialized nation provides some type of service by the way of universal health care and making sure that college and universities are affordable. Why can't we do that right here in this country? We can do that right here in this country. I am glad that just this week, President Biden continued the pause on the student loan payments until August. I want to see the pause turn into permanence so that we cancel all student debt. Because the power that he has to pause the payments is indeed the same power that he has to cancel it all. If I were in Congress, I would have joined Senator Sherrod Brown and the more than 80 Democratic members of the U.S. House and Senate who wrote President Biden asking him to cancel at least $50,000 of student debt. The voice of the 11th District should have been represented on that letter. It was not. And if I am in Congress tomorrow, I will fight to cancel it all, to take this burden off the shoulders of more than 45 million people and give them a greater chance to succeed. For the more than 45 million people carrying student debt loans and the people who love them, that is, meaning the cancellation of student debt, is an economic relief 
that can change the trajectory of a family, a community, and a nation. And I would be remiss if I did not say that black women carry the largest amount of student debt in the United States of America. Canceling student debt is not just a class issue, it is a caste issue too. It is a racial justice issue, and it would help to close the racial wealth gap in the United States of America. Let's stop playing games. Let's just go on ahead and cancel the student debt. The measure of our progress in America needs to be the opportunity we give everyday people to succeed. Our Democratic Party must be on the forefront of that fight. In, the, in this past year, we have seen that our party and this administration need more people who are free of the interests that are holding up progress. We are in a time where members of Congress who fight back against those special interests have become our most important allies for democracy. The gains and progress made under the early parts of this administration are being undermined, and we need a fighter to challenge those who are standing in the way. I can take on the necessary fights because I do not take corporate money. I'm not beholden to big money interests like big oil, big pharma, or Wall Street. I can take on the fight that Greater Cleveland needs because that's what I've done throughout my career as a public servant in this community, whether it was on the Cleveland City Council or the Ohio State Senate, whether it was in the classroom of Cuyahoga Community College where futures begin. <laughs> Got the shout out, Tracy. And here are some examples of the real results I've made in the lives of real people. I was incredibly focused on breaking the school to prison pipeline and creating a school to success pipeline. So fortunate to be able to work with the vanguards of Cleveland. Many of you know the vanguards of Cleveland represent the black firefighters in this city. And there was a vision that, um, that Chief Johnny Brewington had to create a program for Cleveland's children so that they could have a career as firefighters if they wanted to at the Martin Luther King Jr. High School. That is where the program is. And to be able to work side by side with the vanguards to make this a reality, it required a change in state code. The graduation rate compare of the students who are in the program compared to the students who are in the larger school. 48% for students not in the program, 80% graduation rate for the students who participate in that program. I was also able to work with Mayor Frank G. Jackson, who had a vision to create a jump school program for eighth grade students who had a C average. And what the mayor wanted, he wanted that program not to be just for Cleveland's children, he wanted it to be for Cuyahoga's, Cuyahoga's children and to ensure that those students who had an average grade got some attention. Because in his mind, the students who get the A's, they get attention. The students who are not doing so well get attention. But the students who are in the middle do not get the attention that they need. 
And I was able to work on that program with one of our premier business leaders, Mr. Randall McShepard. And that academy took place because there were public-private partnerships. It was housed at Cuyahoga Community College. There were two teachers in every classroom. It was an eight-week program that got that that helped our eighth grade students who were average students prepare for their journey to the ninth grade. Now this, these examples was not about the work that I was able to do on the floor of city council or the floor of the Ohio Senate. It was more about a commitment that I made to this community. I've gotten results before and I will continue to achieve results if given this opportunity. In Congress, my first job will be to continue this legacy of hands-on leadership to make a difference in the lives of people in this district. In Congress, my only special interest will be the interest of the people. Hundreds of members of Congress recently brought in hundreds of millions of dollars into their districts to fund local priorities like education, local government, and nonprofits. Our own Senator, Sherrod Brown, brought in over $7 million for Cuyahoga County for critical community projects. And while those representatives from all over the country brought in millions of dollars for their districts, our current representative brought in zero dollars of federal money. Let me repeat that again, zero dollars for the poorest city of its size, where one out of every two children in Cleveland is living in poverty and one out of three people are going hungry. The only thing worse than failing to deliver funding is outright taking credit for and campaigning on somebody else's work. Now you don't have to take Sister Turner's word for it, it is documented in the Cleveland Plain Dealer. Now what does it take to be an effective legislator and deliver resources to the communities and the products and the, pro and the projects that need the most. My time in the Senate taught me that it takes tenacity and unrelenting commitment to everyday people. I will work with our region's mayors and city council members and commissioners to help create a regional vision for our community. This work will extend to community and activist leaders too. My experience, national profile, and record of results, even in a Republican-controlled environment, will allow me to navigate the halls of Congress on your behalf and actually bring home results. What I will not do is attempt to take credit for the hard work of others while our district struggles for resources. Greater Cleveland needs a leader who will deliver for this city and support the work of our state and city leaders by taking your concerns to the halls of Congress. Know this, that I will continue to serve on the front lines of the fight for criminal justice, reproductive justice, voting rights, racial justice, not for days when it is politically convenient, but for decades as I have. I will continue to unapologetically fight for working people and speak truth to power. And speaking of speaking truth, everything that I need to know about politics and life, I've learned from a toddler. Now, I'm a G-mom, 
And I know that some, there's some G-mons in the house. That's what they call us in the 21st century, Senator. And I have a two-year-old and a nine-month-old. But my two-year-old loves to put together puzzles. I hate to put together puzzles. My two-year-old loves to put together puzzles. I hate to put together puzzles. My two-year-old loves to put together puzzles. So therefore, now I must love to put together puzzles. <laughs> Whenever there are pieces to this puzzle missing, my grandson will make it known by saying the following words, ya-ya piece missing, ya-ya piece missing, ya-ya piece missing, ya-ya piece missing. The boy got me contorting myself in ways that I never dreamed that I could, under chairs, under couches. And he let me know, Sister Seal got it. <laughs> I still got it. But he loses his mind over the piece that is missing because he understands what far too many adults don't understand, that each piece is unique, it is distinct, it is necessary, and that the whole picture of the puzzle can never come together unless we get each and every piece. The reason why I contort myself so is because I'm trying to get some peace. I can't get peace until I find that peace. Everything that I need to know about life and politics. I am learning from a toddler. And I tell you this, that each and every one of you are unique, you are distinct, you are different, but you are necessary to make the whole. No matter how we identify, no matter where our ancestors hail from, we are part of the pieces that make up the beautiful picture of this human family, and we need one another. I guarantee you this afternoon that I refuse to get any peace until every person has the opportunity to live a good life. I refuse to get any peace until we put policies in place that lift the poor, the working poor, and the barely middle class. I refuse to get peace. So I'm asking you for your vote in this election because Greater Cleveland needs a change maker, not just someone willing to go along to get along. We can get an agenda through Congress that puts working families first, and I gotta tell you something, that is worth fighting for. We gotta give people something they can feel. One of my favorite girl groups in Vogue, they had a song giving them something he can feel. I replaced the him with giving them something they can feel so that they know that the love is real. We need elected officials that's gonna put policies in place to give the people something they can feel. And that's good union jobs, expanded healthcare, childcare, and climate justice. However, winning the battle against Republicans and the holdouts in the Democratic Party will only happen when we put working class people first. This election is about putting working class people first. We can't give up on voting rights, passing paid, leave, extending the child tax credit, increasing the national minimum wage, and pushing back against the assault on women's reproductive health. People are looking ahead to what needs to be done in order to deliver on a working class agenda. And they are realizing that unless we act now, it may be too late. This is a new district with new people and a new time. This election is a new configuration of the Cleveland-based seat. All of my hometown will be in this district where I overwhelmingly won in the special election. The people in this district are fighters and they are asking me to run. Cleveland is asking me to serve and the new voters will be a part of the process and they deserve a choice. This is my community. I live here, I serve here, my grandchildren are growing up here. The circumstances of not having a living wage, affordable education, quality and affordable housing is something that we can no longer tolerate. 
The 11th Congressional District has a strong history of leadership in Congress fighting for the needs of everyday people. I came up through that tradition and it guides me to my service on this day. On the Underground Railroad or in the Underground Railroad, Northeast Ohio was known as the Station of Hope. This is part of our tradition. You see, hope is an action word. It is a motivator. Hope and freedom require not just wishing for change, but taking the steps to make that change happen. It's what makes this district great and what makes the people of Greater Cleveland great. I am asking you for your vote in this election because creating an America as good as this promise is worth fighting for. Our children are worth fighting for. Our future is worth fighting for. You are worth fighting for. Thank you. We're about to begin the audience Q&A. For those, for those in our live stream and the radio audience at 89.7 WKSU, I'm Bill Levesi, City Club Debate Committee Co-Chair. We're joined today by former State Senator Nina Turner. We welcome questions from everyone, City Club members, guests, and those joining via our live stream at cityclub.org or the radio broadcast. If you'd like to tweet a question, please tweet it at the City Club. You can also text them to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. It needs a jingle, Dan. We should work on that. And our staff will try to work it into the program. May we have the first question, please? The question that came in via text. As a strong supporter of Medicare for All, I'm sure that you're aware of the huge number of people who still don't understand how much money we will save when it's implemented. How do you suggest we address this and can you explain the economics? Yeah, and thank you for that question. <clears throat> the commodification in healthcare is just wrong. And we really are the only industrialized nation on the face of the earth that has what many doctors call sick care and not health care. And when we talk about or think about the many people who are underinsured, meaning you have health insurance, but you're still paying co-pays, premiums, and deductibles, and people who are uninsured in the wealthiest nation on the face of the earth, it is untenable and it is also immoral. To the questioner's question about the dollars that will be saved, hundreds of millions of dollars will be saved over, over time. But it's not just the money that will be saved, it is the lives that will be saved that we should care about the most. That we have, we spend more for health care than any other industrialized nation, but we don't have as good of health outcomes even with all that money that we're spending. So logic tells me that we need a new system that makes health care universal and we will get better health outcomes because people then, that burden on them, will be taken away and they don't have to worry about whether or not their lives are worthy. In you, if you don't have health care, in a way we're telling you that your life does not matter. 
So we need universal health care. We can do it. Every other nation, industrialized nation is doing it. How are we going to let these other nations outdo us, even from a competitive perspective? We are the United States of America, but it will save money, but more importantly, it will save lives, and it is the morally right and just thing to do. Good afternoon, Senator. Um, I've known you for nearly two decades, and you've always been a good friend to me, to the constituents we both represented in South Euclid last decade, and, um, and to the Jewish community that I closely identify with. Um, but if peop for people who didn't know you for the last 20 years, um, what they saw in the last election were postcards with grainy pictures and propagandas paid for by who knows who, yeah. and uh, they painted, it painted a very different picture. Um, would you speak to the people who received those postcards? Tell, tell them who the Nina Turner I know is. Yeah, thank you, Councilman. I appreciate that. I'm, you know, I'm a mother, a grandmother. I, I love people. Um, as the Councilman laid out, I did serve, you know, in the, in the Senate, Ohio, uh, the 25th District, large portion of the Jewish community. It troubled me greatly to come home every single day and see a negative piece of literature in my mailbox, the onslaught of that, the caricaturing of me, painting me as an angry black woman. Now, I am mad, though. <laughs> we, we, I'm just, you know, I'm mad about the conditions that people face, you know. But to get back to the, the councilman's point, and I'm so glad that he asked that, that question, I believe that Israel has a right to exist as a democratic nation in the Middle East. I believe in justice and security for Israel and justice and security for Palestinians. I know that there are people who don't believe that Israel should exist. I know that anti-Semitism is on the rise. My hell humanitarianism says to me that I fight for justice in all of its forms. And I will say to you, Councilman, what was done to me last year should cause pause to everybody, no matter if they supported me or not. I think people should do everything to win, but not anything to win. And a final point to that, I do know what bigotry looks like as a black woman and racism and anti-blackness. And some of the things that happened to me last year was anti-black. People might not call it that, but I'm calling it what it was and what it is. But to the Jewish community, the same white supremacists who hate my son, hate your sons and daughters. We are together in the fight for justice fighting against bigotry in all of its forms, racism in all of its forms, xenophobia, Islamophobia, all of the, the isms, racism, sexism, ageism, all of the things that don't edify humanity, we should be against. So if people want to know who I am, I am a public servant through and through. I am a lover of the people, and I stand ready to serve all of the people that make up the mosaic of the 11th Congressional District and beyond. Because as we know, when you're elected to Congress, the decisions that you make have national impact. And Councilman, thank you so much for your support. And thank you for asking me that question. I'm getting choked up just even thinking about it. So thank you so much.
Good afternoon. Good afternoon. So much to unpack. Yeah. Um, my name is Kelly Wall. I'm with Stella Maris. Okay. Uh, we've been here for 74 years, literally under the bridge in the West Flats, um, the oldest drug and alcohol treatment facility in the country. So 2017, we thought that we had hit a peak of overdose, deaths, and poisonings. Um, 2022, we've seen an influx of fentanyl and synthetic drugs unlike anything anybody's ever seen continue to touch every neighborhood across this country, and in particular, Northeast Ohio. Mm -hmm. um, last year alone, we treated 1,000 more people than we did the prior year. The overdose poisonings, I like to call them, because so many people are trying something, maybe for the first time, and they're dying because it's fentanyl. Mm -hmm. And I lost my bonus son that way. So what can I ask you? I mean, our, our um, detox, we have a 100-person wait list on a daily basis for people to get into detox. And let me note that we are a nonprofit, so we treat everybody regardless of their ability to pay, which I think is so important. Yes, it is. So can I get your thoughts on that? Um, yeah. You know, we, it, we're on the same team, right? Yeah. You know, the wall. Everyone says it's the wall. You can buy this on the dark web and have it shipped in through the post office, right? It's coming from China. It's 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 coming. It's coming in. But I'd really like to get your um, perspective. It's you know people. It's not going away, and it's gotten worse. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, you laid a lot, uh, and thank you for your service and 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 um, what you do. I mean, naming uh, drugs of despair is what came to mind. Um, the hopelessness and the helplessness that people feel that they have to turn. Uh, to drugs, and it is all of our responsibility to help. Uh, I believe that uh, drug abuse, number one, should not be criminalized. We should get people the help that they need. Again, an industrialized nation that makes profit off of other people's misery by putting people in prison who abuse drugs, no matter what those drugs are, we should not lock people up for drug abuse. They need treatment. One of the reasons why yeah. I support Medicare for all is because that umbrella would give opportunity for more people to seek the health care, uh, whether it's mental health or counseling for drug abuse that they need. Also wrapped into that, when I think about the notion of, drug, of, of, of drugs of despair, it is what can we do on the front end before people have to come and see you to exactly. ensure that fewer people, did you say 100? person wait list for detox for, for detox, detox on a daily basis on a daily basis and covid you know addiction's a disease of um you know it's you need community right you're right? trying try to fill a void you must you must have community yeah. to be successful yeah you know in the recovery process and covid has just exasperated this yeah. so you know the mental health has gone through the yeah. roof people are sicker um, we have people that have been sober for you know sure 30 years that are relapsing. They can have a relapse. You because, I see, all of these things go together. They're not disconnected. Fun. Making sure people have good jobs, making sure communities are strong, making sure people are healthy, ensuring that people have mental health, that they can go to the doctor and have their mental health needs met before they feel the need to turn to drugs and to ensure, and I love what you said about community, that we have to wrap our arms around people 
who have drug addiction because, but by the grace of God, there go any of us. So it is making sure that the, the federal, state, regional, all levels of government need to be involved in ensuring that we have, that we meet the healthcare needs of our people. And you know, one of the most important levies that are on the ballot in Cuyahoga County is the Health and Human Services levy. And we have to keep pushing, pushing for that as well. But drugs are despair. There's something that we can do about it on the front end. And that is making sure that more people than not have pathways of opportunity to live a good life so they don't have to try to fill that void. And as you said about COVID exacerbating, COVID has exacerbated every bad thing that is part of the human existence. And that's why I said, we might think we done with COVID, but COVID is not done with us. And what has been laid out has been a condition of crises even before the pandemic, but the pandemic certainly has made it worse. So I am a big supporter of not only Medicare for all, but putting forth funding for organizations like yours and other organizations that are on the front lines of helping our folks who are drug addicted uh, find their way. Because guess what? With the right services and a strong community, they can find their way back. My question is simply, if you are elected, will you fight for comprehensive immigration reform? Absolutely, I will do that, Michael. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, while I was, so, you know, certainly as a state legislator, we dealt a little, we didn't deal a whole lot with immigration. Senator Smith may remember <laughs> one of our Republican colleagues that introduced a bill to not allow immigrants to have receive workers' comp, and it was really a, an attack on our Latinx uh, sisters and brothers and, and family and friends, and we voted against that bill, pushed against that bill. Uh, things have gotten so much worse since Senator Smith and I were there, unfortunately, but yes, absolutely, I believe in comprehensive immigration reform in these United States of America. Far too many Congresses and administrations have kicked the can down the road and we must do something to ensure that people can come uh, to this country and that they come to this country in a way that edifies and lifts everybody and not puts them in jeopardy. And I will say also to that point, uh, Michael, about comprehensive immigration reform, that we do have to take note of the fact that immigrants catch hell coming to this country and black immigrants catch a, a no, whole nother level of hell. And so the racialized nature of immigration too is on full display in the United States of America. I'm old enough to remember uh, folks on horseback with, with, the, with the, the reins hitting up on Haitian uh, immigrants who were trying to get here. I've talked to many black people in the diaspora and there is a different standard if you are black as it is in a larger society. So while we're working on comprehensive immigration reform, I, I had to put that point out there that we must not turn a blind eye to even the deficiencies in working on comprehensive immigration reform that leaves out black immigrants. And also when it comes to people's religion too, let me throw that out there as well. We treat uh, folks differently also based on religion. That must stop. This is a, a question that was submitted by a text. Uh, there are many in the audience who identify as progressive Democrats and dearly want to see enactment of your agenda. However, if the Republicans control both houses of Congress, or frankly, even if they continue with the filibuster, not one item on your agenda will happen. 
do you really believe that a progressive agenda is the best way for Democrats to hang on to the House and Senate in the next two cycles? Oh, absolutely, I do. I think it's the only way to hold on. And I love that question. We need material conditions to be changed. We are a visionary nation. Nobody says, let, let us, let us, well, maybe some people say this, but I, let's just, anybody that's a visionary leader knows that you gotta, you, you gotta push for more. You don't want things to stay the same. The American people are on the side of the progressive agenda. Now, they might not call themselves progressives, but when I talk to people about health care, about canceling student debt, folks ain't talking about who's a Republican and a Democrat, a progressive or a moderate. They like, sign me up, baby. Yeah, I got student debt. I need to have canceled. I need health care. What you talking? I think the divide comes in when we put the label on it. Yes, the progressive agenda works. I'm old enough to remember when the president's Build Back Better agenda was held hostage, not by progressives, but by moderate Democrats. So this ain't just about the Republicans, because we know that many of them, far too many of them, not all of them, but far too many of them, have what lost their ever-loving mind. To quote my grandmother, have lost their ever-loving mind. <laughs> it is the progressives, and I'm talking about the real progressives, not people that just sign up because it's a fancy new buzzword. I'm talking about the real ones. It is the progressives that holding up the president's agenda. Yes, it is possible. And give me just 120 more seconds. I want to take you back to the 1940s. President FDR, after World War II, declared that we needed a second Bill of Rights. Progressivism is in our DNA. Now call it what you want. Shakespeare once said, what's in the name? A rose by any other name smells just as sweet. President FDR understood what we needed to do, and in that Bill of Rights, it was education, it was jobs, it was housing. And guess what, the White House conducted surveys at the time, and over 80%, and Dr. Harvey K, I hope I'm getting this right, over 80% of the American people from every political ideology believed in that second Bill of Rights. What are you saying, Sister Turner? I am saying that what the progressive movement is fighting for is not new. Fast forward to the 60s, we got the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and the Poor People's Movement, bringing all poor people from all walks, walks of life together. He asked for an economic Bill of Rights. We got one of the greatest uh, unionists of the 20th century by the name of Asa Philip Randolph, who took part in that and created what he called a freedom budget for all Americans. And in that budget were things like abolishing poverty, making sure farmers got what they needed, education, housing, jobs for people who could not work. He built on the four freedoms of FDR. So yes, the question is a resounding yes. We're not fighting to keep things as they are. We're fighting to create a world as it can and it should be. And to quote Congresswoman Barbara Jordan, she said these words, what the people want is simple. They want an America as good as its promise. That is what those issues do. Senator, I wanted to uh, maybe kind of expand on that last question because if the Democrats want to hold their majority or expand it, they're going to need to win swing districts that are going to bring in more moderate Democrats who are going to be incrementalists. So you, like right now, you need Joe Manchin in the Senate to get anybody confirmed. Yet some progressive Democrats have primaried moderate Democrats and uh, not spoken highly of them. So do you accept a Joe Manchin and maintain the majority and get what you can, or do you say, we don't want a Joe Manchin and we don't want moderates, we want a pure progressive caucus? 
Uh, I and don't have less chance of winning majority. I don't consider, let me reframe it, I don't consider it being pure to want people to have health care. I don't consider it being pure to, to want people to have a living wage. I don't consider it being pure to have wanted the child tax credit to stay in place and to be extended. Senator Joe Manchin questioned what, his, what the people of, of West Virginia were going to do with that money. Classism at its worst. So what I accept is that primaries are made for so people can banty about the ideas and so that voters can have choice. This is not, you know, we, we, don't, we don't have dictatorships in this country. We don't have people who are born into these seats. I believe that primaries are robust and primaries should be had, that voters should always have a choice and whoever is in that seat must earn that seat each and every time. What I do know about Senator Joe Manchin and Senator uh, Christian, uh, Senator Sinema is that they holding up the president's agenda. That's what I do know. And I also know that the progressives are holding his agenda or pushing for his agenda. So I get the question, I get it. But being moderate and half measured doesn't get the people what they need in the changing of the, their material conditions. And so if FDR could stand on that second uh, Bill of Rights, if people like the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. could declare that we do need an economic Bill of Rights in this country, if Asa Philip Randolph and all the other people who believe that we must continue to push to ensure that the material conditions of our people are changed. And I don't say that in a way that, that holds up progressives as, as you know, we're not, we're not without blemish, but I do believe that what we are fighting for helps the greatest number of people in this country. And since the Republican Party has lost its ever-loving mind, we need one party to stand up for the people unequivocally and push for the issues that will make their lives better. And guess what? The overwhelming majority of the American people are on the progressive side. Senator Manchin is out of step. Senator Sinema is out of step, and any other senator or House of Representative member that's hiding behind them, they are out of step. They are the extremists, and progressives are holding up a great tradition in this country of dreaming big and pushing hard. So, I believe in primaries. I, I do. I've got all the text questions. So, um, <laughs> okay. You mentioned the current minimum wage in Ohio. Unfortunately, the state removed the ability for local cities to set their own minimum wage. What message would you share with voters who are losing faith that their vote actually matters when their interests can be usurped by legislators who are, not, who are consistently not putting the people first? Yeah, I get it. And disillusionment is real. I would say keep voting anyhow. Vote mad, vote disappointed. You got to vote and seek out elected officials that really are going to make a difference and have your interests at the heart of the matter. Unfortunately, in the General Assembly, good God, we forget about the General Assembly. Let me put it that way. We're so busy as a nation focusing in on the Congress and who's in the White House. All of those things are vitally important, but who serves in state legislatures is just as important. And the reason why we are catching this different type of hell that we're catching right now in this country is because Democrats, my party, is not competing in a robust way when it comes to state legislatures, state houses, we must change that. So we're not gonna give up because giving up means to surrender, but we are going to continue to push for these types of changes to happen in this country. It can absolutely happen, but I do, I wanna, I wanna take a moment to 
absorb what that questioner was asking and to say that I know that the stressors and the disappointments are real. But we got to keep going no matter what. We got to keep going. I think it was Winston Churchill who said, if, if you inhale, keep going. Don't stop. You know what I mean? I mean, if you're already there, don't stop. Let's keep on pushing through. Better days are coming. Today at the City Club, we've been talking with former State Senator Nina Turner, who's in her second race for Ohio's 11th District. We'd also like to welcome guests at tables hosted by Nina Turner and by the Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District. Thank you all for being with us today. Next week, on Friday, April 15th, we will hear from Congresswoman Chantel Brown. And just announced this week, Senator Rob Portman will be speaking on Thursday, April 21st, to discuss his work in Ukraine other priorities, and the accomplishments of his decade-long tenure in the Senate. You can buy tickets and learn about these forums at cityclub.org. And that brings us to the end of today's forum. Thank you, Nina Turner. Thank you, members and friends of the City Club. I'm Bill Levesi, City Club Debate Committee co-chair. And this forum is now adjourned. Thank you. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream Public Media are made possible by PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.